Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Luke 12, verse 22 through 31. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I read a story this week about the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, That's for you, Donnie. Oh, I didn't mean to single you out. Now all the Royals fans are going to be like, coming at him. Uh, but I read a story, uh, it was just a week or two ago, kind of a reflection on a game. Maybe you saw the game, a recent one. They were playing, I believe it was the San Francisco Giants, and they were up like 15 to 2, right? And, uh, you know, the game was over. And they had run through their pitchers, the Giants, and so they put out a rookie outfielder, right? Maybe he had pitched in his early baseball days. They put him out on the mound to pitch. And, and uh, a writer sort of reflecting on this moment kind of talked about, his name was Gonzalez. And they they put him out there, and, you know, it was like watching the game in slow motion. He was not sort of a professional pitcher, right? So he's not slinging the ball, you know, with all that speed. Intentionally sort of slow, uh, trying to maybe make the ball sort of move uh, in different directions rather than just fast, right? The the approach being, you know, well, I'm not going to throw some semi, not very fast ball that a guy can just turn around and use against me and crank it over the wall, right? So this rookie outfielder pitches and amazingly didn't give up a run. And the writer's reflecting on it like, uh, you know, this was, was just kind of fun, like watching this. But then he said the real fun happened uh, in, in the changeover. So it was the Cardinals' turn uh, to pitch. And sort of in a show of reciprocity, kind of recognizing the game is clearly out of hand. It's been decided. They ran out a, a, an unorthodox pitcher as well. Does anybody know who that pitcher was? Albert Pujols, Albert Pujols right? You guys know uh, a, a legendary baseball player, right? Still playing, but a man of great uh, esteem and success, beloved by Cardinals Nation. I don't know the name for Cardinals Nation. Donnie can clear me up on that, but right? Uh, who has spent much of his career there, had moved on and come back. I mean, he is a hero to this organization and not a pitcher, right? A renowned and successful superstar. Uh, superstar, I don't know. <laughs> Um, in Major League Baseball. Oh, that was, quick, get back on track. Um, uh, right, and so they ran him out to pitch, which is interesting, right? So it was the first time in his career, and uh, the, the writer reflecting on this moment said, you know, it was great fun, right? He, he threw the ball a little faster than the other guy. Some people hit, got some hits off of him, home runs. There was this playful moment where, right, so the Giants batter hits it, gets to first base, and he kind of stops, and he's like, I want that ball back. I got a hit off of Albert Pujols, right? No, this is never going to happen again, you know, like him pitching. And uh, it was just a playful moment. 
the manager for the Giants talked about uh, in this moment, kind of recognizing uh, that it was just a fun sort of realizing the game was out of hand, right? But he said, I think it's just what was needed, at least from our side. Obviously, their fans loved it. The writer reflecting everyone standing up. He's like, what struck me was that everyone around the field was smiling, both dugouts, all the players. It was just a really sort of fun, playful moment. Uh, the sports writer reflecting again, kind of quoting the uh, manager of the Giants, I believe, uh, you know, it's just what we needed. Obviously, their fans loved it. I'm sure their dugout was hanging on every pitch. It was the right time to kind of let go of the negative outcomes of the game and get involved in the fun of it. And then Pujols said of this, it was a dream come true, Right? And maybe you're a purist, a uh, sports purist. You're like, no, right? Uh, this is not okay. But it's interesting to think about this one particular writer reflecting on the joy. It was the most fun he said he'd had watching baseball in a, in a really, maybe ever. But in a game that uh, is so professionalized and monetized and performance-based and driven, he said it was so refreshing to see all of that kind of fall off. It didn't matter whether you won or lost. And what happened when that pressure was removed, you were left with what baseball was originally, a game. And it was fun and full of joy. And I know that life is not, I know that life is more than baseball. Some of you are like, that is not true. <laughs> uh, life is not a game. I know the stakes of life are very high. But when I read a passage like what Emily read for us this morning, don't be anxious about your life, Jesus says to his disciples. Uh, it, it comes at me with a kind of uh, an invitation. You, you can hear Jesus making an invitation. There's a way to move through life that is carefree, that is full of joy, that, that is winsome in its experience of the world, that is able to kind of let go of outcomes and the need to control them. And, and that, that kind of life can sort of step into the world in a way that hears the invitation, don't be anxious about your life. It's a familiar passage of scripture. Maybe you've heard it before. Jesus says, look at the birds, look at the flowers, right? God is involved in all this. You can let go of the outcomes. And the result of that is a kind of fun and joyful movement through life. I, I don't know. I was, we were chatting earlier. I, I do sometimes hear this. If this is where we start this invitation, there's a bit of restoration of the joy to life. Sometimes I hear that this command, right? Jesus turns to his disciples, therefore, don't be anxious about your life. And I, I, I want to quote Ralph Fiennes again. I can't remember the movie. I've done it before. But he says, you know, would that it were so simple. I'm like, really, Jesus? Don't be anxious about your life. Yes. Would that it were so simple, right? If I could just turn off the anxiety, I wouldn't need the sort of command, right? Like, uh, I don't know. You probably carry your own anxieties. It's, it's what I don't hear in this moment is a sort of Bobby McFerrin approach. Jesus like, don't worry, be happy. Uh, you know, if it were that simple, I wouldn't need the kind of prodding towards it. I would just let it go. And yet here is Jesus to his disciples. He turns aside and says to them, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. I, I want to raise the question, like how did he get there? How did we get here uh, in our reading, how do we get here? In the context of Luke's gospel, maybe in your life, where you are now, and whatever anxiety you have carried into this room, how do we hear, uh, don't be anxious about your life? How do we get here? What led to this aside uh, from Jesus to his disciples? 
Well, I want to take us back just to the paragraph before. We, we didn't read it, uh, but just a bit of context. And in that paragraph, we find this expression. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. We didn't read that this morning, but just prior to this instruction, Jesus is teaching. Someone raises his hand and interrupts him and says, I have a question. And uh, in the course of, as we'll see in a moment, Jesus responding, we, we hear this expression. Relax, eat, drink, be Mary, I mean, it, it feels like it flows very nicely into don't be anxious about your life, right? These things sit very well together, right? Relax, eat, drink, be merry. What, what, but again, how did we get here? But again, not to, there's, there are lots of sort of contextual ties in the story of the gospel uh, as, as we move from chapter 11, where we were last week in the Lord's Prayer, uh, into this moment uh, and we don't have time to point them all out, but just to kind of set the stage, Jesus has instructed his disciples on how to pray, which we'll consider in a moment. And then uh, he's confronted with a challenge. You're like, well, you know, they're, they're questioning his authority and, and this kind of thing. And uh, there's this kind of back and forth. And then he engages religious leaders and teachers, people who interpret the law, and, and really challenges them that, uh, you know, uh, he, the, the language of woes, sort of a grief here. He's like, you guys are missing of the point, the kind of this language of inside, outside, and valuing the wrong things, right? All themes that are resonant in what was read for us this morning. And then he turns the corner into chapter 12 and just sort of amps up the intensity and introduces themes of, uh, again, fear and, and, and the, the, the thoughts that they carry about men. life is maybe more than the material that you've experienced. Let's think about life in a proper perspective at the beginning of chapter 12. I mean, birds show up. Fear shows up. God's care shows up in those teachings. All things that showed up in what Emily read for us this morning. Even the Holy Spirit, he goes on to say, you don't have to be anxious about confessing me, about walking with me on this road. In those moments, the Holy Spirit, which he introduced to us at the Lord's Prayer, he says, will be with you. Again, he's just giving, sort of trying to shift their focus, their perspective on kind of what is essential in life. And in the middle of this instruction, it's like, ah, Jesus, I have a question. Blake has some questions we talked about this morning. You can chat with him afterwards. Um, they were, <laughs> sorry, that was an inside joke that means absolutely nothing to anyone else in the room except for the one or two people that were part of that conversation. But um, right, he raises his hand, I have a question. He, uh, he said, Jesus, I, my brother won't split the inheritance with me. Can you do something about this? And Jesus, in his wisdom, refuses to engage. I've sat with some applications of this, uh, and I, I, this is a lesson I have not learned. When my children are fighting, I know better than to participate. They have told me, Dad, it's better when you stay out of it, right? You just make it worse, right? They have, they have explicitly said this to me, and yet, when I hear an argument, I, I just, the, 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 the human sort of flaw in my heart is drawn to, like, let me control the situation and, and mend it for you. And that's perhaps one application of this passage. Jesus, in his wisdom, refuses. He's like, well, you know, I'm not, look, buddy, inheritance is tricky. And if you've been in any kind of family uh, loss and grief and all the decisions about the stuff of life can get real messy real fast. Jesus says, actually, and does what he does over and over again. He said, let me, let me draw your attention to something sort of behind all of those questions. And he starts to talk to him about covetousness. Not a word we throw around a lot, but just starts to talk to him about, well, let me, really what we, what we should be talking about is this pull in your heart to just desire more. And, and he tells him a parable 
right? If maybe you're familiar with the story. He tells him a parable. There's a guy. He planted his he had a bumper crop, and he wasn't expecting it. And so he's like, what am I going to do with all this abundance? And he says, I know what I'll do. And, and in the language, he repeats this first-person pronoun over and over. You kind of hear it if you read it aloud. He, he says, I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And I'll say to my soul, he says, and here we catch the phrase, I will say to my soul, soul, <laughs> I often address myself uh, such, uh, soul, you have ample goods. <laughs> you have ample goods laid up for many years. And then the beautiful line, relax, relax. You've worked hard for this moment. Eat, drink, be merry. God said to him, fool, fool, he says, this night your soul is required of you. Here's God addressing the soul, which comes with a slightly different bit of uh, weight. Your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? So, so is the one, he says, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Man, I don't know. It's a beautiful story. Just to clarify, there's lots we could talk about. This is obviously a passage about money, the material possession of life. That's not all it's about. I mean, money pops up, death pops up in this passage, mental health, talking about anxiety, fear, of the future, kind of the uncertainty of the unknown. I mean, you could take any one of these topics on their own, and it would be a little just overwhelming, right? And here in this one passage, all of them come together. Jesus sort of, they all sort of get wrapped up in this story together. Uh, man, I, I don't know, right? It just feels like an accurate description of life on the road. Maybe your life on the road. Anxieties you carry about money, about the future, about mental health, and things maybe we don't talk about all of these topics that culturally maybe we don't sort of like to sort of push to the front of the conversation. Here they all are, and, 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 I, and I do think sometimes I just want to reduce it to a sermon about money, but there's a lot kind of going on here, and Jesus sort of calls our attention to it and says, man, on their own these things would be insane, but man, what about the space where all of them play together and your life on the road? Uh, I don't know. It, it raises the question for me. Right, like what, 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 what's my relationship to all of these things that all of us feel, that all of us sort of process or work really hard to keep at a distance so we don't have to think about them, right? All the things we work to control to sort of keep death at a distance or the uncertainty of the future at a distance or to prepare for it in a way, right, that we feel like we can control it. I love the, the way Emily prayed for us this morning that God is in our tomorrow, right, that, but this is pulling us that, uh, you know, what, all the ways we relate to all of these things, well, what does it change about how I relate to these things when I walk down that road with Jesus for you or for me? And I think, I think Jesus at the end of our reading sort of pulls us into uh, the good news, right? It's one thing to hear, don't be anxious about your life. But thankfully, that's not all Jesus says. We tend to respond to that with the kind of, I'll control all the things I can control and uh, I'll work hard enough so that one day I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus says, actually, both of those approaches are misguided. The anxiety you feel and carry uh, uh, about the uncertainty of tomorrow and your efforts to control and all of those things, it's like both of those sort of reflect a similar move. Your need for security, your fear that it will escape you, 
or your need to kind of build it yourself. Jesus speaks to both of them. And what does he say? Where does he land? At the end of our reading this morning, verse 30, after he's pointed to the creation of God's care, providential care for the world, he says, for all the nations of the world, seek after all these things. Your and your father knows, he says. Your father knows. Your father knows that you need them. I think I, I hear, and maybe you do too, a passage like this, and my response is much like the disciples to prayer. Just teach me how to pray. God, just give me the mechanics of a worry-free life. Give me the principles. Show me the steps I can take to ensure my security. Uh, just, you know, just give me the mechanics of how to make this happen. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. What he does to his disciples, to this anonymous person in the crowd, and for you and me, is he says, let me reorient you on the road. Let me remind you of the context of the world in which you live. I know you think it operates one way, that it's a game to be won or lost. I know that's how you think this works. But he says, let me reorient you. Your father knows. And then he goes on to say, it is his good pleasure to give. We didn't read the passage, but the immediate context after this beautiful sort of um, invitation into a carefree kind of movement through the world that is full of joy, Jesus says it's the Father's good pleasure in verse 32 to give you the kingdom. It's your Father's good pleasure to give. Let me reorient you in a world where it's all about sort of you manufacturing and holding on to your security and says, let me remind you of the context in which all of that care and anxiety and effort happens. It happens in a world in which your father knows and it's his good pleasure to give. If I could take you back to Albert Pujols pitching. Right, I know life is more than a game, but man, it feels, it, it feels like a hint of the gospel here. Right, that that the, that we we think life is a game to be won. We feel the pressure to determine the outcome. But the gospel says, what if all of that has already been sorted? Right? What if you've already lost? We were dead in our sins, and you've already won because of the work of Christ. And the pressure to determine outcomes has now been removed and alleviated, and you can step into life in the way it was designed to be lived, in the world in which it is your Father's good pleasure to give. And so now you are free to give as well, to, yes, move through life with your grip uh, relaxed, it's interesting as Jesus sort of picks up both ends of the extreme, building bigger barns to manufacture your security or sort of anxiously worrying about what comes next. Both of them, the, the observation Jesus makes is both of them uh, eliminate from the field of your vision the needs of others. And the answer to that, he says, is not a sort of three-step process on how to live carefree. It's drawing you and me into, because of his work, a world in which your father's good pleasure is to give, to give. It's the movement of the gospel here, that it's his generosity first, right, that, that builds security for you and me. That when we live in the security of his work, not our ability, not our wisdom, not our manufacturing, not our planning, not our own attempts to control, uh, that when we live in the security of his generosity, we are free to live for what matters, to live generously, to live joyfully. 
I, I, I said I wouldn't stay in the sports world. I'll take you to one more place. Uh, and not that the two are mutually ex exclusive, but I also read an article about the library uh, recently. Uh, the public library in New York, the New York public library. And uh, an interesting story. So uh, the New York Times wrote an article uh, about the New York public library. And um, th this is what uh, some observations they made uh, from October 2021. So COVID, you know, the world was nuts. Public institutions, but, you, know, you know, people aren't going. Uh, October 2021 uh, to February of this year, 2022, so like five months, uh, the New York Public Library saw 90,000 overdue books returned. 90,000. So, right, you guys are like, oh, sweet. Um, uh, 90,000. And uh, yeah, some like from decades ago, right? Decades ago. One, one was from, uh, well, let's see, what was the year? Uh, 1970. Uh, yeah, and they went to the place they had borrowed it from, and it was a shopping mall, right? The location wasn't even there, right? So to go somewhere else. 90,000 books returned in five months. After decades of sort of keeping all that stuff <laughs> for many hidden. What, what changed? Right? What, what made the difference? I'll tell you what made the difference that the New York Times article wrote about in October of 2021. The library canceled everyone's debts. They just forgave it. And not without cost. I forget the percentage, but uh, it was in the millions uh, of revenue that fines created for the library to do their stuff. So they had to eat that somewhere, right? They had to make changes. But in this moment, they said, "That's not. we're not in the debt collection business. And they just forgave everyone. And the result was 90,000 people or books doing the right thing, right? This, this, this change, right, that once, once the pressure had been removed, the debt had been canceled, people were free to do what was right, to enjoy the library the way it was intended. And I, I wonder if that isn't a picture of what Jesus invites us into this morning. It's your Father's good pleasure to give. There's been no clearer expression of that than giving of himself on the cross and in that moment forgiving, canceling all of the pressure and, and debt that we bring, that we've accumulated over the years of our lives and in a moment forgiving it and our experience in that moment, not saying here's how you can be less anxious, but saying why don't I invite you into a world in which your Father has generously given to you and when you start to experience that kind of grace and generosity, it changes it changes us we become people, as Jesus will conclude in verse 33, who sell our possessions and to give to the poor. Luke's really, really concerned and will fill up pages in the ensuing pages of his narrative about the life of Jesus. It'll reach a climax in Zacchaeus. He's very material. He does care about what we do with the material things in our lives. He draws us into this piece of Jesus' life and ministry. But in this moment, Jesus says it's not just about sort of ticking all these boxes or building bigger barns or smaller ones. He's like, it's orienting your life in a world in which you live changed, mindful of the truth that God is generous and he has been generous with you and all of your anxiety, all that you carry, all of that happens in the context of a God, much as we saw with prayer, who is inclined towards us, who leans in gives generously. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking of like the library finds of your life, right? 
maybe you feel them acutely. The spaces in your life that, oh man, I really try to keep that sort of under wraps. Jesus says all of that changes in light of God's generosity to you. We've been chatting in small group, the language of God being rich in mercy. Maybe you're here this morning, mindful of all those things. I don't know what context those anxieties perhaps uh, resonate in your life. Maybe it's relationally, relationships in your life, vocation as you make decisions, or the material stuff of your life. Maybe the invitation of the gospel to you in all of those tangible places is to rest. All the things you're trying to control, rest in the gospel truth your father, his good pleasure is to give, is to give to you. And, and, and the ensuing result of that gospel truth is, is you'll find your grip starts to relax. Where you have spent years sort of hands and fingers maybe a, a little gnarled, hard to open because they've been so, so tight fisted for so long about things that are vulnerable and, and, and difficult and challenging, you'll find that the more we rest in the truth that God is generous heat sort of thawing our frozen hearts, we start to relax. We realize the game has already been lost and won because of Christ. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.